Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit. Bullshit is rampant. Total fucking bullshit. B -b bullshit just makes no fucking sense. I mean, it's just bullshit. Fuck. B -b bullshit this is bullshit. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Welcome back to Bullshit Filter, The War on Drugs, episode 3.24. Four. Wow. My notes say 25, but it can't no, be 25, it must can't. be 24. Yes. 24. Can't. How are you, Papa Bear? Uh, no, no hurricane sharks at this juncture. Um, if there are, they're outside, and that's for the wife and the kids to worry about. I'm fine. So, thanks for asking. Do you have a hurricane playlist? I've seen a lot of people oh. on Facebook asking for a hurricane playlist. No, I was just going. And this, I'd, go I'd, ahead. I just recommend this. violin in that track. Did I tell you I met Hurricane Carter once? No. Yeah, did a few rounds, a few rounds with Hurricane Carter. It's a pussy. Pussy. Yeah. The violin probably turned you on since your wife plays it. Yeah, she plays it all right. No. Plays, she plays my fiddle, fiddles with my fiddle. Um, so anyway. Anywho, uh, so anyway, yeah. mm. I just wanted to who, FBI. Yeah, but before we mm. do that, I just wanted to preface this um, mm. by saying: so Reagan comes in, they start cutting programs, they decide that the government is still soft on drugs, and and really it is something that you can stamp out because it's people, it's not society. People are bad, and so Ed Meese, Reagan's chief advisor, wants to change the laws to give um, cops more weapons, more tools. So he wants to get rid of the exclusionary rule, which means any evidence obtained illegally is not admissible in court. He wants to get rid of that. They also want to weaken the Miranda law, they want to be able to hold defendants without bail. And um, they want the federal government back in street crime. We've heard this all before. They want the federal government on the nightly news. We've all heard this before. But the point is, how do you do all this? What's your justification? How do you package all of this? And the way you do it, they decided, was a new federal war on drugs. We've heard it all before, but these guys think they're mm. going to be able to do something different. And this time, by gum, it's going to work. Mmm. Bagum. Yeah, bagum. Four times a charm. You're right there? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, Ronnie Reagan decides they're going to get tough. They're going to uh, get the FBI involved in the war on drugs. Now, as I said at the end of the last episode, he did something that no other president had been able to do before him. He got the FBI to agree to get involved in the war on drugs. And uh, Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover, had been dead for eight Yay! years at this juncture. Sorry. And the new director, William Webster, right. was on board. He had been appointed to the role running the FBI by Jimmy Carter, even though he was a Republican, and he decided he was going to get his agents to use RICO to wage war on the drug business. But the big question, Ray, is what drug business are they going to go after? Ooh, um, could they go after heroin? Well, they could, but 
Quite frankly, heroin then as now is pretty much a non-issue in the United ah, States. No one really okay. talked about it officially or in the press. The number of heroin addicts hadn't really changed a lot since Nixon's day. It had sort of stayed level, hadn't right. grown, hadn't shrunk. Huh. It was stationary. It wasn't getting worse. Therefore, okay. no one really paid much attention to heroin. Okay, strike one. What about... Do, 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 what about... Okay. What else we got? Cocaine. Cocaine. What about that? Yeah, again, cocaine uh, wasn't really seen as a problem. It was more seen as a party drug that the rich people were doing. Right, um, the betters. Yeah. Times magazine did a cover. Times magazine did a cover story that year, displaying a martini glass full of white powder, <laughs> with the words "high on cocaine, a drug with status and menace" Ooh. over it. But uh, Time magazine said that in small and occasional doses, cocaine is no more harmful than equally moderate doses of alcohol and marijuana and infinitely less so than heroin. So, you know, cocaine was seen to be not sort of really a big deal. It was the drug of the smart set. Right. The people that um, famous cokeheads, you know, your your Richard Pryor, your Keith Richards, a whole bunch of yuppies. Um, An Illinois appeals court had just ruled that there was no causal connection between the ingestion of cocaine and criminal (laughs) behaviour. Chicago cop was quoted in Time magazine as saying, these people, a.k.a. cocaine addicts, are not the dregs of society. Uh, So, you know, heroin's invisible, cocaine wasn't a problem. What's left? What else have you got that we could get upset about? This is going to sound, I even hate to say it, um, cannabis? Cannabis, yes, cannabis. So they decided, of course, they're going to go after marijuana. But the problem is that it was also in decline at this stage, apparently, um, at least with teenagers, according to studies done at the time, as was tobacco. Whether it was the propaganda that was starting to get to them or whether they just weren't as rebellious as previous generations, who knows? But if you think about America in the early 80s, I mean, Vietnam is over. The hippie movement has finished or been crushed by Nixon and J. Edgar Hoover. Mm -hmm. The 80s were the years of video games, uh, 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 technology, computers. I mean, I I was uh, in in 1981. I I was 10 turning 11, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Right. I, I remember people talking about drugs, little bit, mm-hmm. um, but really, myself and all my friends, we went into drugs. We were into MTV. Um, yeah. We were into playing Space Invaders. Um, Love it. Maybe 81, 82, something like that. We were, we were into yeah. uh, 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 computers. We were into, uh, uh, you know, the, you, you had your, um, your, your Commodore 64 uh, very early right. desktop computers. Um, you know, we were we were into watching Knight Rider and Michael J. Fox. Uh, the eighties were oh, all yes. about, you know, it was the era of uh, cool television, cool rock music, video clips. It wasn't about drugs, um, no. and everyone who had read the studies knew that marijuana wa- wasn't a health problem or a crime problem. And it was declining yeah. anyway. But, um, hey, never let the facts get in the way of a good story. Well, I mean, we don't, so why should they? <laughs> no. Or the music. Now, I, just on a side note, I found it interesting that you were talking about um, Reagan giving a speech, uh, getting the FBI, uh, FBI involved. That was in September of 81. He's talking, he's giving a speech in New Orleans. But, of course, in March of 1981, Reagan gets shot by John Hinckley. He obviously survives. He comes out. He's more popular than ever. So even if he, not that he probably needed this boost, but getting shot in some ways was actually good for him. He comes out. He's more popular than ever. He pushes this through. And again, 
it's not really an issue that's out there, but you've got to have something to focus it on. And so they decide to focus it on pot because still remember, as far as the average American people are concerned, I think there's still a lot of fear and ignorance about pot, even though kids are using it less, but it's still the one thing that people can identify with because like you said, heroin and cocaine, those are almost intangible. So few people are using them. uh, Marijuana is all they got. So that's what they're going to use. Now, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole. You know me. I hate rabbit holes. No. But let's talk about John Hinckley Jr., <laughs> seeing as you brought it up. Okay. <laughs> okay. I didn't have this in my notes, so I'm going to just ad lib a lot of this. But um, how much do you Who's know the- about the guy who tried to shoot Kennedy? Because oh. I, I think you and I may have talked about this before at some point, you, but I can't remember. You meant Reagan, not Kennedy, right? <laughs> yeah, he's the guy who tried no, to just, shoot Reagan. Yeah, yeah. I just want to make, uh, to be honest with you, I used to know a lot uh, Jody Foster, uh, I don't remember anything now. Yeah, I mean, that's so for the kids uh, out there listening. Um, yeah, this, this guy, John Hinckley Jr., he was relatively young at the time. He was uh, 65, 75, 26, shot Ronald Reagan with a uh, revolver. Um, as he was leaving the Hilton Hotel in Washington, D.C., um, uh, a few other people got wounded uh, and, and one was killed, Press Secretary James Brady. Um, he didn't hit Reagan directly, but uh, Reagan was wounded when a bullet ricocheted off the size of the presidential limousine and hit him in the wow. chest. And Reagan wasn't a young man either. He was like 69, 70 at the time. When he, uh, so anyway, um, Hinckley didn't try to run away. He was arrested at the scene. Um and uh, oh, Brady didn't die. I guess he he um, remained paralyzed on the left side of his right. body until he died eventually in 2014. Um, it was ruled a homicide, though, 33 years after the shooting, because well, I guess it had something to do with him being shot when he finally died. Right. But um, anyway, the, the story about Hinckley is interesting. So do you know who Hinckley's father was? I used to. Please tell me. So Hinckley's father, uh, by the way, Hinckley was from Dallas, Texas, where uh, the place where you get where presidents get shot, uh, right. or where they where their assassins come from. Right. Um, yes. Uh, well, he was born in Oklahoma, but he moved to Dallas when he was four. His father was John Hinckley, senior president of World Vision United States wow. and chairman and president of the Vanderbilt Energy Corporation. Mm. Now, as you might expect, uh, this their father, John Hinckley Sr., being a rich, uh, powerful man in Dallas, Texas, who would, have, who would he have been very close friends with? Um, Ross Perot, the governor. Mm, well, Ross Perot, yeah, probably. Who else? Who else came from Texas and was involved in politics in the late 70s, early 80s? Um, was that James Baker? I was going with uh, the vice president, uh, George H.W. Oh, Bush. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yes, good point. So George H.W. Bush uh, had obviously run for president and, and you know, lost out to Reagan uh, during the Republican primaries, got made um, vice president. Mm-hmm. And and Bush and Reagan didn't like each other much, um, but uh, so after Reagan wins, uh, the, the vice president George H W Bush. If Reagan had been killed, who would have become president? Yeah, Bush. Vice Vice President Bush. Yeah, and the guy who tried to kill Reagan was the son of one of George H.W. Bush's friends and biggest uh, campaign supporters. Wow. Wow. Uh, wow, 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 wow. Now, of course, that's not how it got positioned in the media. It always gets positioned with this. He was obsessed with Jodie Foster um, and he thought that if he killed Reagan, then Jodie Foster would pay him attention or something. Aww. Yeah, that's always been the story. But um, his connection with George H.W. Bush I've always found far more interesting. 
Um, now, on the day, uh, I seem to recall, of the shooting, let me see if I can dig this up in my Evernote somewhere because I'm sure I've got this written down somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, he was due, uh, not due, Hinckley's um, brother, one of his brothers, I think, was due to have lunch with Jeb Bush, one of the Bushes, on right. the day of the assassination. Um, you know, they were that close. Yeah. The Hinckley boys and the Bush boys were like uh, friends. Damn. Catching up, Weird. hanging out, having lunch. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. You always got to wonder what the real story yeah. behind that is. I don't want to be an Alex Jones here, but... but. It makes a lot more but, sense than the whole Jodie Foster thing. I mean, there's a real connection well, there as opposed to what's in his head. Oh, she'll love me. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Now, I don't think that uh, Hinckley Sr. said to his son, uh, hey, no. listen, um, what are you doing? What are you doing tomorrow morning? Could you try and shoot, <laughs> kill Reagan for me? Can you whack um, somebody for me? Because it'll make then, – then our friend will be uh, president. But I'm pretty sure that um, if I had to guess, uh, at some some point of the equation there in John Hinckley Jr.'s mind was making um, George H.W. Bush president because it would be yeah. good for the Hinckley family in some way. Um, yeah. Well, a, a good anyway, Christian father go. will sacrifice his son. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, that's in, that's biblical, man. That's in the it Bible. Is. It is. That's why. It is. Yeah, yeah. Sacrifice your son. Yeah. Uh, f- to show that you love love the Lord. Yeah. Anyway, now I've, now I've lost my fucking notes. Um, where were we? Can I? Um, Reagan. Yeah. Yeah. Reagan. Yeah. Hmm. Can you what? I was just gonna, um, and and I was just gonna talk about a little bit about some of the more budget cuts and David Stockman, but. Um, Whatever. Stockman. Yeah. Uh, well, before we get to that, I want to talk about Carlton Turner. So Ross Perot's anti-drug guy, the the, the marijuana expert, he sort of right. goes to Washington at this stage and is sort of unofficially at this juncture Reagan's new drugs are. <laughs> and um, he was going around because Reagan said, look – well, I want you to get Ross Perot's guy up here. He's doing such a good job. Get him up, and let's see what he can do here. And let's let's take what they're doing in Texas, and uh, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll make it go. Yeah, we'll go national. And uh, so Carlton Turner starts doing the rounds, and he basically says, stop talking about whether or not marijuana's good or bad for you. I'm here to tell you it's bad. End of story. Right. Um, let's stop fucking about with scientific studies and trying to understand it. It's just bad. Full stop. There you go. Decisions Drug made. Bad. Let's get let's get on with it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But uh, but of course politics comes into this because the Senate is trying to create their own drug czar position. So for Reagan, he's got a temporary measure involved. He's got to take Turner and hire him as his acting Drugs are. It's going to become official later, but he's still got to play the game because the Senate wanted to look good. They don't want to be left behind in this glory-seeking um, money slush fund that is going to be the drug war. They wanted their piece of it, but Reagan does an end run around them and makes this guy his acting drugs are, which will be made official uh, later in his uh, presidency. In September 1981, about nine months into his first term, Reagan gave a big speech in New Orleans where he said that his war on drugs was one of the single most important steps that can lead to a significant reduction in crime. And he wanted to push through a whole bunch of reforms, uh, including getting the military involved in the drug war, which we'll get into in a little bit more uh, later on. bail and parole reform, getting the FBI involved, and the responsible use of herbicides. What did he mean by this responsible use of herbicides, Ray? Um, you spray it on the people that are doing drugs. They die. Everybody else is fine. 
I yeah. guessing. That's what Nancy told me. Yeah. <laughs> Start smoking herbicides instead of weed. It's better for you. And the, take care of the pharmaceutical no. companies get to make some money. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, they wanted to go ahead. Well, they they wanted to start carpet bombing um, marijuana plantations in Mexico again with herbicides. Mm. Um, but more than this, he saw drugs as a spiritual problem, and uh, I think, and and you know, trying to unpick Reagan's attitude towards drugs is is difficult because I I genuinely believe that he genuinely believed. The drug, mm, okay, drugs is bad, okay. Um, I genuinely believe he thought that. Right. Um, I, uh, I genuinely believe that he saw it as uh, part of the sort of the moral and spiritual decline of the United States, um, that, uh, the, you know, the kids were smoking marijuana, and as we've talked about in previous episodes, that was associated with... You know, decline in their uh, belief in American values. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually said, "It's all, this is a quote from Reagan, it's ultimately a moral dilemma, one that calls for a moral or, if you will, a spiritual solution. Yes, Jesus. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so as you said before, he, he felt like the war on crime would only be won when... <laughs> People started getting back to, you know, believing in right and wrong, that individuals are responsible for their actions and um, getting away from this this view about root causes of social problems. Same thing Nixon wanted to get away from. You know, there was, there was this view that came out of the 60s that um, social problems like inequality, racism, injustice – caused people to do bad things and Reagan wanted to crush that idea and just say they're just bad people and we're going to stomp on them for being bad. Forget forget all of this bullshit um, underlying justification. And again, I've got a clip from him a little bit later on that I'll play where he literally says these things. You you said something just a second ago uh, that you you felt that Reagan really believed drugs were bad. Which brings up the question, we know that Nixon had a scientific commission appointed and researched, even though he throws away the results, that's not that's not the point. The point is he had the, as far as we know, the, the most accurate information in front of him. I don't remember Reagan off the bat when he comes into the White House having any commissions done. I think it's already assumed or settled for them, and they're just going to jump right into action when they get into the White House. Well, no, um, there was a commission uh, that the National Academy of Sciences Mm -hmm. had started a report on the health effects of marijuana in the middle of Jimmy Carter's presidency. And it was finished in 1982, just as Reagan was uh, kicking off his old war on drugs. It said that it had come up with politically inconvenient scientific knowledge uh, which found that no convincing evidence existed that pot damaged the brain or nervous system oh, or decreased fertility or led what? to crime. In fact, it said the biggest problem associated with marijuana were the laws around demonizing marijuana, which may be the uh, true cost of the current marijuana laws to society. But Reagan had appointed a new president of the National Academy of Sciences, a guy called Frank Press. He said, this report's a load of bullshit my own people put together. Um, He said that the committee that prepared it had insufficient data and that it rendered a judgment so value-laden that it should have been left to the political process. So fuck your National Academy of Sciences and their science-based reasoning. Leave it up to the politicians. Uh, We don't want to... We don't right, want to get involved in deciding what's real and what's not real. That's a, that's a politician's job, not that's science. Right. That's right. But but my point is, when he first comes into office, um, he already knows what he wants to do to some degree. And you're right, this report comes out roughly around the same time that he decides to have his war on drugs. So he either knew or was about to know after he launches this that it's 
I, he probably didn't even read it. Let's be honest. But um, he, he's got he's got the information in front of him. But it doesn't matter because he and Nancy Reagan have decided what they're going to do. And again, everybody's ignoring science and they're going with conventional wisdom or or what have you. Yeah, Reagan said, well, crime is a problem of the human heart, and it's there we must look for the answer. Men are basically good but prone to evil, and society has a right to be protected from them. That's pretty good. The human heart, that's all it is, Ronnie says. Now, uh, Turner, Carlton Turner, his unofficial drug czar, as he said, he's a chemist, he's an expert in marijuana as a plant, but he's got zero experience in drug treatment or social policy right. or politics. Unlike his three predecessors as um, drug czars, they mostly all came out of drug treatment. He didn't know much about cocaine or heroin, but they weren't a big, a big issue anyway, as we've discussed, so he just wants to focus on MJ. Yeah. Now, his goal, he said, was to create a generation of drug-free Americans to purge society. Aww. And he loved to be selective in the studies that he quoted, and this is something that the National Academy of Sciences was responding to. He said that marijuana studies showed that it affected sperm counts and did long-term damage to the immune system. Um, and this which is Turner. Is, this is Turner. Now, he doesn't never cited Nixon's Marijuana Commission, which, as we know, <laughs> found that it was relatively benign for adults. Right. He didn't acknowledge the research done at Harvard Medical School, where they also said that, um, you know, it, it, it really wasn't that bad for you. Now, nobody was saying that drawing hot psychoactive smoke into your lungs is good for you. Right. But saying that, look, society tolerates alcohol, tobacco, double bacon cheeseburgers, mm. a lot of stuff that's not good for you gets tolerated and that marijuana probably fell into that basket of things that, look, if you if you overindulge, probably not going to be good for you. A little bit in moderation, yeah. not not a not really a problem. It's you know just just do it in moderation, like you eat cheeseburgers, right? And drink, um, and preferably less than you drink and eat cheeseburgers. Um, but you know it 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 they just they it's just this hysteria around marijuana, and that's the big question, like. I'm sure I haven't uncovered anything to this juncture yet, but you know the racism inherent in Nixon's view on marijuana, going after the immigrants, the, the like the Mexicans and the, right. the African Americans. I'm sure somewhere inside of Reagan's administration, inside of his psyche, that was part of it as well. Pretty sure yeah. that he associated crime with. African Americans and Mexicans, as much as he did with uh, hippies and 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 uh, I don't know mm. the kids, right? Um, who were who were not living according to his fifties uh, <laughs> madman values, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, even if he was, mm. even if he wasn't, the, I can tell you this now: the governor of Texas, the one we were talking about earlier, he's going to crack down, and there's going to be a lot of people. Not white who are going to end up in these jails. So, so this, even though it's not blatant yet, like it was for Nixon, it's coming. Um, but right now, we just we just haven't seen it front and center. But it, but it's there and it's coming. And so, um, with the tenor of the times um, outside of the National Academy of Sciences, there were other studies that were done uh, that did claim to prove that marijuana was bad for you. There was one that came out of the University of Kentucky oh. that proved, it said, that marijuana was the cause of heroin use. And this got widely report reported in the, the media and science media. Wow. Um, uh, but like other gateway drug theories, the researchers looked only in one direction. So apparently they asked heroin and cocaine users if they had first used marijuana Mm -hmm. You know, a lot said that they had. Um, they didn't, of course, then ask them if they had first used alcohol, tobacco, caffeine, <laughs> or milk. Cheeseburgers. Uh, as, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
it's like uh, I saw this uh, a few years ago. I remember there was another big um, congressional committee or Senate hearing on drugs in the US and um, uh, I think this is during the Obama era and some congressman asked the drugs are at the time if marijuana was a gateway drug might have even been George W. Bush's era mm-hmm. and the guy said it is it's a gateway drug people start with marijuana and then move on to harder things I think it was the senator at the time actually it might have been the guy from SNL who then got in trouble for oh, right. pretending to touch some woman's boobs what was his name oh, um, looking right at him yeah God, yeah. I can't remember. Um, <laughs> I, keep, I keep thinking of his SNL character. And people, <laughs> gosh darn it, people like, like me. me. Whatever his name was. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, whoever it was said, well, isn't milk the gateway drug really? Don't we start with, doesn't everyone start with breast milk? And then they move on to <laughs> something else. Um, and he was like, yeah, yeah, you, you got me there, Senator. Um <clears throat> So this was this was the problem with all of these gateway drug studies. Apparently, they didn't really look at it uh, from that direction. Um, now, the the number of Americans um, who had smoked pot at this juncture had skyrocketed in mm. the past thirty years. They claimed to as many as seventy million, wow. while the number of heroin addicts heroin heroin, heroin addicts right. had stayed about the same, about half a million. So if marijuana was a gateway drug to heroin and the number of people smoking weed had skyrocketed, you would imagine that the number of people that had moved on to using heroin would have, or cocaine would have skyrocketed with that if it really was a gateway drug. But that's, the facts didn't bear that out. So... It didn't make any sense, right. the gateway drug theory. But again, no one was really thinking about it that deeply. It's not about facts or science here. It was about hysteria, creating yeah. hysteria. Yeah. 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 If you're going to come here with your science and your thinking and your stats, then, you know, not your Bible, please fuck off. Carlton Turner put it like this at one point. The point is, illegal, i.e. non-prescription, use of drugs is not only a perverse, pervasive plague. Oh, nice alliteration there, Carlton. Perverse, pervasive, can't even say that. Perverse, pervasive plague. Right. Should have been a rapper. (laughs) Of itself, though it is that. But drug use also has a behavioural pattern that are sort of tagged along during the present young adult generation's involvement in anti-military, anti-nuclear power, anti-big business, anti-authority demonstrations of people from a myriad of different racial, religious and otherwise persuasions demanding rights or entitlements politically while refusing to accept corollary civic responsibility. So I think it's clear from that that this is part of the Reagan administration's issue. Right. It's about the association between weed and people that are arguing against big military, nuclear, uh, nuclear power, big business, um, who are anti-authority uh, figures. And, and if you can crush the weed... And the people who smoke weed, you'll be able to stop people from protesting all these things that were close to the heart of the industrial military complex. Yeah. So again, it's politics. Two, you know, two birds, one stone, or whatever. And if and if I can mention David Stockman again, this is all nothing but politics, just like with the with the Texas governor. So David Stockman is Reagan's point man for for cutting the budget, for cutting the government, and he's very good at his job. And when he starts looking at the different agencies that have to do with drug abuse and and trying to prevent it, he finds a plethora of agencies. And he's like, oh my God, I'm going to be able to save a ton of money by cutting out, you know, parts of, or maybe some of, some of, or all of these things and really condense it or whatever. But again, what, and again, politics rears its ugly head. So he's like, for the places that really haven't seemed to have a lot of drug problems, it's like New York and Detroit. And let's be honest, those areas normally back Democratic candidates. Reagan was elected by people in the suburbs and rural areas. So here's what we're going to do. For us, because drug treatment 
is not a priority, certainly for the White House. And if there's any middle-class white kids are having drug problems, they probably got their parents, their grandparents, they've got a stable society that, that can support them. What we're going to do is we're going to stop giving money for treatment and prevention. And if the right kind of people, i.e. the white people, have trouble, they probably got someone they can go to. So if all that money that's been going to methadone places over the decades, I guess since Nixon came along, um, Uh, since 1970 when he had his study done. They're going to stop giving money to that. That's going to be phased out. Instead, the federal government is going to give big block grants to states and let them decide how they want to do it. But as far as some of these other cuts, it's truly astounding. The 1982 budget is where the federal government pretty much ended the drug treatment network. So here's what they did. Child nutrition is cut by 34%. Urban development is cut by 35%. Education grants are cut by 38%. Milk school programs is cut by 78%. Energy conservation is cut by 83%. Drug abuse research is cut by 15%. But what goes up? Things that have to do with the punishment and interdiction part of the drug trade. The Coast Guard budget goes up 44%. The FBI's drug budget goes up more than 50%. And the prison system goes up more than a third percent. The DEA's um, <clears throat> budget goes up by more than a 6%. So they are cutting programs. They're making government more leaner and more efficient. But again, they're cutting out a lot of social programs that people need. And they're giving it to the, the entities that are, that are going to help stop drugs coming into this country. But as we're going to see, that's going to have a reaction as well. You might be able to slow down the drugs coming into this country, but what is that going to do? What what opportunities is that going to create for people who want to grow drugs in this country? So they, they completely have these fucked up priorities, but they're going whole hog with it. And Reagan is the one who's leading the way because he's so smooth. He's so charming. He's been shot by John Hinckley. He survived. He's the country's father figure, if you will. And a lot of people are putting their absolute trust and faith in him. They're not thinking. They're not analyzing. They're just believing everything he says. Well, one group that did uh, jump on board here is the Ad Council, which was the advertising industry's public service arm. Mm -hmm. They offered their services to Carlton Turner to help with the war on drugs, which I find fascinating because if there's anyone who was doing a shit ton of drugs in the early 80s... It was the advertising industry. <laughs> well, that's how you come up with ideas. You get high as a motherfucker. You can't tell me that all of these ad directors in the 80s weren't snorting a fucking ton of cocaine. Particularly the guys who, these are the guys that came up with the slogan, say no to drugs. I absolutely guarantee you that the guys who came up with that slogan were snorting mountains of cocaine at the time when they came up with that idea. I guarantee it. We can reenact it right now. It's like, hey, do you want another hit? <laughs> no, man, I can't do any more. I'm just saying no for right now. <laughs> That's it. Say no to drugs. <laughs> Fucking brilliant. What? what did I say? Yeah, that was pretty much how it happened. Apparently, when they first came up with that, it didn't go anywhere. Um, <clears throat> it didn't work. Um, really? Had to, yeah. Didn't they? They they put it out there, and everyone just laughed at it. it. Wasn't until Nancy Reagan really got behind it later that she was able to sell it. She became ah, the spokesperson right. for that. Anyway, over at the National Institute on Drug Abuse, aka NIDA, created by Nixon in 1974, the director William Pollan, right. Uh, best remembered these days as the person who declared that cigarette smoking was more addictive than alcohol and heroin, ordered his staff to read through all of the drug abuse publications that the agency had published mm-hmm. and remove any that contained the word social. Oh. So any documents published by the National Institute on Drug Abuse that had talked about social causes for drug addiction had to be removed. Pollan then sent a list of these suspect documents to every librarian in the country, along with a letter, (laughs) 
explaining that these publications reflect preliminary marijuana and cocaine research findings that often found equivocal results. I strongly suggest that you purge your collection of these old materials. 64 NIDA booklets, papers and monographs going back to 1972 were declared to be uh, inappropriate because they talked about social causes and librarians were told to remove them or suggested strongly that the Reagan administration thought you should remove them because you don't want the kids reading scientific literature uh, that may (laughs) contradict what we're telling them uh, on one hand. The excrement coming out of Washington, right. You know, it reminds me of... Churches, man, it, it's like the Mormons telling uh, their 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 congregations not to read any non-Mormon literature that may contradict what's in the Book of Mormon. You don't want to be confusing wow. people with the sciences and the facts and the logics, you know. <laughs> Just uh, keep them on the straight and narrow. Uh, so, yeah, I was shocked by that, that they were actually removing this stuff from libraries. And I'm sure they did. Just, yeah, don't believe your eyes or ears, um, to paraphrase Trump. Yeah, so they take all these things out. So now there's even less scientific literature out there. Just in case if you're a concerned parent or a concerned community leader, you want to be able to go to the library and get some more research, some scientific research. There's a little, actually, there's a lot of it less out there now because of Reagan's uh, government. By the way, in 2005, Westat, a research company hired by NIDA, funded by the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy, uh-huh. reported on a five-year study that it had done that looked at government ad, ad campaigns aimed at dissuading teens from using marijuana. They said the, the government had spent more than a billion dollars just between 1998 and 2004 oh my god on a- anti-marijuana ad campaigns and according to the study the ads didn't work there's a quote from the study it says greater exposure to the campaign was associated with weaker anti-drug norms and increases in the perceptions that others use marijuana so in other words the more people saw the ads the more they realized, oh, everyone's using marijuana. I should try it too. <laughs> it's cool. I want to be cool. <laughs> Here's Johnny. Johnny's smoking weed. Isn't Johnny an idiot? And you're like, no, Johnny Johnny looks cool, man. Yeah, Fuck, if it's good relaxed. enough for Johnny, yeah. it's good enough for me. <laughs> well, people probably got so, so stressed uh, out from the ads, so they needed some pot to relax. By the way, when uh, Westat gave that report to the White House, what do you think they did with it? Operation Shredder? (laughs) Yes. Well, they sat on it for a year and a half anyway uh, until the Nixon Nixon Bush's administration was almost over before they released it. Oh, Um, I found this. Yeah. Like like this – and again, this is another – uh, recurring motif in this story, right? Yes. Um, yes. Decade after decade after decade, governments say, Give, you know, produce a report on how well our drug campaigns are working. They go, here it is. They go, oh, fuck. What? Shred that. We don't want that uh, getting out, that information. Like, this, this, this is still, this is like what you need to understand, kids, about your yeah. governments is uh, they hide the truth from you when it's not convenient. When it's, when it's an inconvenient truth, as Al Gore said, uh, they're going to hide it from you <laughs> to the best of their ability. Right. Which and, is and why we exist. The- We're here to give you the truth. Exactly. We are shining the light on the pile of shite. I'm going to put that up the copy <laughs> That deserves to be in a coffee mug. <laughs> no, one of the earliest episodes we did on this, we, uh, one of us mentioned... Um, uh, that statistically, for different government programs, um, prevention or treatment was one was one seventh the cost of punishment. So not only are they ignoring all these scientific commissions and papers and studies, but they're spending a shit ton of money more than they would need to 
and uh, trying to deal with this problem. So one, it's not a problem. Two, there's cheaper ways to deal with it. Three, they're wasting a ton of money that's quite frankly our money, and they're not having anything to show for it. So the entire thing is a fucking circus. And like you said earlier, it's just to keep people in jobs and bonuses and promotions and overtime. It's all about keeping some staff around so they don't have to go out and get another job. The stones, man. Tight. Toit. Toit like a toyga. Um, <clears throat> so on June 24th, 1982, Reagan stood in the White House Rose Garden and declared his war on drugs. I was not present at the Battle of Verdun in World War I, he said, but from that battle, I learned of that horrendous time of an old French soldier who said something that we could all heed. He said, there are no impossible situations. There are only people who think they're impossible. To which my father would have said, well, stick your ass out the window, then run outside and throw rocks at it. Um, well, that, that was what he always said to, to me when I said... Has... Yeah, go ahead. I used to say to my dad, nothing's impossible. If you really set your mind to it, and he'd tell me that. I'd go, oh, fuck, I okay, okay. You're right. I guess some things are impossible. Yeah. No, but that was that that was Reagan uh, taking a swipe at Carter because in the last episode I was saying that Carter uh, had a speech written for him where he says, "Look, we can only do so much as long as people find some kind of uh, release in drugs and and they're stressed out about different things. They're going to fucking do drugs. So we'll do what we can and we'll do it intelligently. But there's only so much we can do. And Reagan's attacking that very very notion. Yeah. He wanted to get away from this idea that, uh, you know, people are just going to use drugs and um, our job as a government should be to look after them when they do it um, and try and get rid of some of the root causes. He's like, no, fuck that shit. That's, that's hippie pussy shit. Rambo time. We just, we just got to throw them in jail. Um, he said, we can put drug abuse on the run through stronger law enforcement, through cooperation with other nations to stop the trafficking, and by calling on the tremendous volunteer resources of parents, teachers, civic and religious leaders, and state and local officials. It's Nixon. And only one, only one drug, yeah, yeah, it's Nixon, only one drug got mentioned. The country must mobilise, Reagan said, to let kids know the truth to erase the false glamour that surrounds drugs and to brand drugs such as marijuana exactly for what they are, dangerous, and particularly to school-age youth. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to agree with him on that. School-age kids should not be smoking marijuana. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Or drinking, or smoking tobacco, right. or sure. doing anything else. That's, that's, these, these are mind-altering substances that are not appropriate for school-age youth. I agree with Ronald Reagan on this point. The gipper. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we can all agree with yeah. that, that, that agree. kids should not be doing drugs. Right. Um, they shouldn't be drinking coffee, really. They shouldn't be having too much sugar. Shouldn't be eating McDonald's. Shouldn't be doing a lot of things. But what, what kids do and what adults, consenting adults do is a different right. issue. But 
you know, talking about kids and school age youth in as part of this rhetoric is is a is a cunning, you know, sort of political rhetoric. It's it's about saying something that everyone agrees with. It's like uh, the old, um, you know, when did you stop beating your wife? Uh, you know, everyone agrees with him on this. The kids shouldn't be doing it. But right. that's not that's not the, the, the full conversation, right? The full conversation is, well, what about, you know, consenting adults? Should they be allowed to do it? But that's not part of the pitch. Right. Um, he said, we're taking down the surrender flag. Ooh. That has flown over so many drug efforts. We're running up a battle flag. Yeah. Um, he all- I have a question for you. Yeah. What is the definition of ins- what is one of the definitions of insanity? Um, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. <laughs> exactly. That was the first thing that popped into my head when he said this. When he put it in terms of a war, like Nixon did, I'm like, oh my god, cut and paste. Why don't you just change the change the date? That's exactly what they're doing. But they are somehow expecting. No, this one's it. This one's going to count. This one, we're really going to do it this time. We really mean it. Yeah, and interesting um, metaphors that he's uh, using here. He mentions the Battle of Verdun in uh, World War One. Now you know a little bit about military history, Ray. Uh, Battle of yeah. Verdun. Yeah, what happened there? Um, I think a shit ton, and that's a real number of people died on both sides. And I don't think the line moved all that much, if memory serves. <laughs> So that's the military analogy he wants to use for the war on drugs, where we're just going to dig big fucking trenches and stay there and shoot at each other for a year. And everyone's going to die, and it's going to cost a lot of money, lost a lot of lives, and we're not going to get anywhere, but fuck it. You know, at least we're seen to be doing something. At least we're doing something. We're dying That was his metaphor or analogy that he wanted to use. Um. But he was fucking serious, and he took the war on drugs to an entirely new level. Now, it's at this point that Turner is, uh, Carlton Turner has officially made his uh, drug czar, and he does something. This blew my mind when I read this. Turner starts calling the heads of all government departments and asking them what they were doing about the war on drugs. Every department, traffic, uh, energy, um, kittens, uh, I think I'm not sure if they said it. There are other sure things going yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they're like, uh, what are you, what are you doing about the war on drugs? And, and they were all like, uh, what? That's not our not our department. He goes, well, it is now. It's everybody's department. Everybody in the federal government <sighs> needs to be thinking about the war on drugs. Every single department and agency needed to have a drug budget. When they submitted their budget to the OMB for approval that year, it was like your budget to, to build roads isn't going to get approved unless a component of it is talking about what you were doing about the war on drugs. Now, I, I, again, I don't get this. We're in the middle of the Cold War. I, I, I don't exactly know how well the economy is doing at this, this, at this point. But how and why is drugs this big giant thing when we really know that it's really not? I, I, I guess is it just something to focus on? Is it something to rally around? I, I don't. I mean, life is hard enough as it is, and government work is hard enough as it is to solve the real problems. Much less creating a problem that doesn't exist and committing all of these resources to it, it just boggles my mind. Yeah, well, the U.S. economy, from memory, wasn't doing very very good in 1981, 82. I talked like um, mm-hmm. when Carter was president, you had a massive recession in the late yeah. 70s. Energy issues. Uh, that, that, yeah. And there was a global Recession, late 70s, early 80s, wasn't just the United States, but, you know, it did affect the United States. Um, And then, you know, they had the Latin American debt crisis, the US savings and loans crisis, which happened uh, during Reagan's administration a little bit later on. 
But yeah, like there was a recession going on, um, and uh, but I think the other thing to remember is the U.S. You know, had learned at this stage. Political leaders had learned since the end of World War Two that you need a bad guy to focus the American people on. Um, and right. at this point, by the end of the seventies, the early eighties, Vietnam's over. The Cold War is still going on. The Soviets are still a thing, but it's kind of running out of steam. Everyone knows that. Um, the Soviet economy is struggling. Um, there's not really sort of major war, you know, wars against communists happening around the world at this point. It's kind of done. You know, there's there's things happening a little bit in Latin America still. Mm-hmm. Castro's still there. There's, you know, Reagan gets involved in, you know, Nicaragua and Panama, and we'll, we'll sort of explore those things in the in the Cold War show, I guess. And we'll get into some of that, the Contra scandal uh, in this series, I guess. But, um, you know, it's kind of running mm-hmm. out of steam. You need to have a bad guy, though, to focus people's attention on. Um, and I think this is what Reagan's doing with the war on drugs. The drugs, drug dealers and drug users become the new bad guy to focus America's attention on. Well, I agree with you, but that begs the question, what does it say about a nation or a culture that needs a bad guy? Does every country need a bad guy to be able to focus their priorities and to... Um, to get on with their with their national policy, I mean, isn't there something that you could just do to be a better country, to be a better people, to take care of each other? Does everybody have to have a bad guy? It doesn't feel normal or natural. Well, look, I think that there is a certain kind of politician all around the world that realizes mm-hmm. that people are motivated at some level by fear, fear of the other, fear of the stranger. Right. Um, this is hard coded into us from a million years uh, in Africa and worried about the tribe on the other side of the valley coming and taking our shit. And if you can tap into that fear, you can get people to vote for you. You can, you can get them to do what you want them to do. Tapping into fear and dread is a way of manipulating people. And, you know, ideally we want to be focusing people on how do we make our society better? How do we focus our energies on the problems in our society uh, and, mm-hmm. and coming up with solutions for the problems of how we could, how we could do things better? But, um, you know, one, one way that people's energies tend to get focused, it's, and it's, it's easier with this dog whistle stuff, is focusing them on, you know, sort of racist tendencies and... Uh, I don't know, just fear of um, different uh, ethnic uh, minorities or, or majorities that are going to come and take your shit. It's what Hitler did with the Jews. It's what uh, the Soviets did with, uh, well, the Jews and also the Germans and, and, and the, uh, the, the, the capitalists. And it's what the Americans did with the Soviets and what they did with them with the hippies and uh, the darkies and the Mexicans. And it's what Trump does to this very day, right? The Chinese are coming to get us. Uh, Kim Jong-un's coming to get us. The Mexicans are coming to get us. They're sending their rapists. Mm. You know, it's it's an easy thing to tap into. And as soon as you hear any politician start pointing outwards rather than pointing inwards, to me it's like like, uh, I tend to – reduce a lot of things down to interpersonal relationships. So if you if you have a person that right. you work with or a family member who's always blaming everybody else on their problems, um, 99 times out of 100, really that person is the problem. Um, if they're blaming right. their family or, or, or their colleagues or their friends for everything that's going on in their lives – Usually, you know, they've, they've got issues. They're not taking any responsibility for their own situation. You know, I, 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 I should do this differently. I should, sure. I should uh, you know, look at myself, look in the mirror before you start. It's the old thing when you're pointing the finger, you have 
three fingers pointing back at you or some some shit. I think it's the same with uh, politicians as well. Right, and the thumb. Anywho. Now, mm-hmm. as I said, um, every single department or agency needed to have a drug budget. Uh, most of them had never even considered it before, but they were basically told they had to start thinking about what they could do to get involved in the war, which reminds me of what Carver said on The Wire. What he means to say is that we are an effective deterrent on the war on drugs when we are on the street. Fucking motherfuckers up, wreck. Indeed. Boom. Fuck the paperwork. Clay body split head. Split them wide. The Western District way. Alright. You heroic motherfuckers kill me. Fighting the war on drugs. One brutality case at a time. Girl, you can't even call this shit a war. Why not? Wars end. Huh? I love that. Good writing. Can't call this shit a war. Wars end. And as we know, the war on drugs hasn't ended yet. Um, And how much have we spent? Well, let me just wrap up by pointing out some statistics, if I may. Mm -hmm. Reagan's all about crime. Now, uh, crime had been going up in the United States, uh, you know, for a period of decades. Um, if you if you look at the the charts, crime had been on the increase from about, you know, well, at least nineteen sixty on up. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got some FBI crime report graphs here. It suggests that violent crime per one hundred thousand population was about, I don't know, 180 uh, per 100,000 in 1960. By the time Reagan got into power, it was up to about 600. So it increased by, let's say, three times from 1960 to 1980. Um, Actually, uh, yeah, about 600 per 100,000 people at the beginning of Reagan's first term. But he went hard on law and order. And do you know where he got it down to by the end of his second term? 200. No, what was it? 731. Um, <laughs> it actually went up by 20% uh, by the end of Reagan's eight years. But we spent all that money. Yeah. Um, the number of Americans addicted to drugs, illegal drugs, at the start of Reagan's first term was about 1.3% of the population. Do you what? know where he got that down to by the end of his second term? I'm, I'm afraid to guess anymore. Uh, about 1.3% of the population. Um, do you know where the number is today? Want to take a guess? Um, 1.5. It's about 1.3% of the population, uh, depending on the numbers. <laughs> but, I've seen different studies that yeah. say it's around 2.5, but basically the stats seem to suggest that addiction to illegal drugs right. in the United States hasn't changed much as a percentage of the population in 50 years. But he raised a battle flag and everything. <laughs> yeah, that he did. Well, um, that's the show. We, uh, we don't have any reviews to read out. Um, we probably do have some new subscribers uh, that I should thank before we go. Let me see. When was mm-hmm. the last time we did subs- thank, thank, the, uh, thank the, the subscribers? Oh, okay. Um, it's been a while, actually, since we thanked our new subscribers to the show. So let me just uh, mm-hmm. read out a list of the new subscribers. Um, I'd like to thank uh, the following people. Uh, Vola Bandarava, Greg Trevero, Rick Gresham, uh, Thor Andre Vicom, Hilton Meyer, Dan Dombrovsky, Thomas Gagnon, Stephen Yes, Trevor Bell, Trev, big Trev, Craig Whiting, Jason Fisher, Alexander Mattioli, uh, Deshay Brown, John Kimball, Peter Gillespie, Kevin Levitt, Erica Chris, 
Donna James, Kevin Cunningham, uh, Marilee Nelda, uh, and uh, yeah, I think that's it. They're our latest subscribers. Cool. Uh, thank you. Thank, thank you to those people for coming on and supporting the show. Um, we will be back, uh, well, in, in a couple of weeks with more of the Reagan administration's right. efforts, raising the battle flag, crushing the war on drugs. Uh, Rudy Giuliani is going to make an entrance uh, in the next series. Um, Woo, Rudy! Uh, big Rudy. Uh, I watched a lot of Rudy Giuliani videos from the 80s and 90s. Um, in preparation for this, uh, you know, back when Rudy actually didn't seem batshit crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fascinating how Rudy yeah. and Trump, you go back and you watch videos of them in the 80s and 90s, and they didn't seem crazy. Now they seem crazy. I know it's something in the water in New York, I think, is making, make, been making people crazy. Or maybe it's the yeah. drugs. Who knows? Glad like Rome. Anyway, anyway the that's the show for this week. The best Stay drugs. safe from the hurricane sharks, Ray.